Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. Let's read one of the key passages that defines church, uh, Acts 2.42. This is kind of a summary and uh, uh, this has been used as the template for what we should look for and build in local churches ever since it was, it was lived out and written down uh, almost 2,000 years ago. This has happened after, this, this occurred after Jesus died, was uh, buried, he rose from the dead, um, uh, and then he ascended, um, and then Pentecost happened, the Holy Spirit was poured out, uh, and there was thousands of people saved. And this is kind of the concluding portion of Scripture describing that, that early initial birthing process of the church. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So we're just going to uh, uh, zoom in on a couple of the phrases in here as elements that define this new community that's called the church, okay? One is that they were devoted, or in some translations it says they continued steadfastly. But they all were devoted as a community. It wasn't just individuals, as a community there was a devotion. So there needs to be a sense in church that this is a commitment, all right? It's steadfast. I love Dennis and Sager. Dennis and Kako Sager. Dennis and Sager. <laughs> <laughs> I was just looking at this. I mean, this is just a great picture of 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 church. Dennis, our first youth pastor at this church years and years ago, trained up, went to Bible college, meets Kaku, gets married, ends up eventually moving to Japan. And you got Aaron and Adrian sitting behind them. <clears throat> Aaron raised up in this church. Uh, and uh, was a youth pastor here <laughs> just uh, not long ago. Uh, and Adrian, they meet and fall in love, and then, and then they got uh, their little baby Titus. You know, it's this generational ministry, okay, that uh, it is, it is uh, but it's, it's long-term, right? This is continuing steadfastly uh, through it all, and so that, that requires devotion. In the church, we need to be devoted. It means there's a high level of commitment. All right? We don't just pop in and pop out. There's commitment. And belonging to a church takes commitment. This, sometimes it takes some people, uh, you know, they come for a few weeks or a few months, and oh, I just never really connected. And I just, you know, you need to come for 30 years. <laughs> you know, they go, seriously. Uh, it takes time. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, not everybody can do that in one church, but it's like... I, I, I'm committed. You know, if God moves me somewhere else, I'm going to go to church. If the church isn't perfect, 
you know, then they're just like every other church. All right, they were committed to the apostles' teaching. I love this. It was it's talking about Scripture being taught, but it's not just the preaching. It doesn't say preaching the Word of the Bible or reading God's Word. It says the apostles' teaching. And the reason that I think this is important <clears throat> that it's described this way on purpose is that they were listening to the teachings of the apostles. Now, the apostles were preaching the Word of God. But what's important here is that what's, what we see is real discipleship. It was Peter. It was John. It was Andrew. It was uh, uh, Philip. These guys that were trained by Jesus were now training others to train others. All right? It was discipleship. And so there was a relation. They knew who their leader was. They knew who they were listening to the teaching. And there was an interaction between uh, the rece those receiving and, and the teachers. And so it was really important here. This, this simple phraseology has significance in that it wasn't just good teaching. Listen, if you want the best teaching in the, in the world, you can have it for free. We live, you know, it's called a podcast. I encourage you to listen to them. I listen to them almost every week. I listen to some of the best communicators in the world. And when I listen, I just, my jaw drops. I go, wow, that's fantastic. But you know what? They're not my pastor. They don't know if I'm listening. They don't know if I even exist. All right? Uh, and so that's not good enough. Because in our, it's great. We live in a day where we can have the best teaching, um, but it, it can't replace church. It can't replace being taught, being discipled by someone face-to-face -face and, and someone that there's accountability and there's follow-up and there's you know them personally and that leads into fellowship this great word koinonia which i could preach on for a whole year uh, <laughs> it's one of the greek words every christian should learn uh, we cram it into a word called fellowship but that's such an inadequacy of what that word encompasses it's partnership it's participation it's being a joint uh, joint participation in a shared uh, community it's really being part of uh, uh, integrated in in every way and so they were fellowshipping getting to know one another and that's another thing you can't do that just by you know doing online church or a tv evangelist and and in our day there's there's really millions of christians especially in america uh, because it's so easy to, to be a Christian and, and not bother with the, the hassles of church that uh, they're missing out on the richness of what is involved in a healthy Christian community and, and the koinonia that we're called to. Sharing meals. Well, this is complicated, guys. That's setting down and eating together, right? Well, what's that got to do with it? That's one of the defining characteristics of the New Testament community, church, is eating together. It's doing life together. And, and in the way it's written, it's like, is that communion? Yeah, it's communion, but it's just getting together and having a meal. Because there's something happens when you just sit down and eat. Uh, and it's, it's a way you bond. <clears throat> it's, it's doing life together. It's just doing life together. And again, this, this develops a, a richness. And when I think of church, I think of the relationships that span sometimes months, but sometimes years, sometimes decades that have been developed simply because we gather together in Jesus' name. Prayer. We need to pray. Jesus said, get alone, go in your closet and pray. That's good, but it's not good enough because we also need to pray corporately. 
And so the church prays, we pray every service, we uh, have worship unite, uh, nights where we just spend the whole time in worship and in prayer. Uh, uh, we gather in small groups and pray. Prayer is meant to be a corporate or communal activity as well as a private activity. And so in doing that, there's something happens when you pray with a group. There's a, 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 an increase effectiveness. Jesus said when two or three agree on anything, that uh, uh, he would it would be done and so that agreement in prayer augments the power of prayer and so it's absolutely essential and if you're in relationship with someone uh, then you have even more uh, capacity to pray with passion because you're 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 in fellowship with them you know what I'm saying it's like you're hand in hand we've been at this for a long time it's a vital part and I believe that awe and, and signs and wonders is listed right here as a defining characteristic of the New Testament church. And so uh, <clears throat> in the early church, they saw that uh, routinely, healings. Peter, in fact, said at one point, it was so intense that Peter would just walk down the street and his shadow would, would be cast on a sick person, they'd be healed. Wow. So we're not operating on that level, <laughs> but we are believing for healing. When we pray for the sick, I believe for them to be healed. Uh, I believe it's God's will to heal people, uh, to set people free of, of physical and emotional and mental illness. And so uh, we want to see signs and wonders, and that's why we have people like Josh Muse last uh, week here talking about seeing blind eyes and uh, open and, and dead people come back to life. And uh, there's just tremendous spiritual activity, and it's available for us today. And uh, we believe it, we pray for it, we expect it. <clears throat> I think that uh, if you come to church with the expectation that in order to be uh, a fully biblical New Testament church, we need to see signs and wonders, I think we'll see more signs and wonders. If you come to church thinking, oh, that ended 2,000 years ago, uh, that doesn't happen anymore, you're probably not going to see signs and wonders, all right? Because you're not going to believe for them, and you're not even going to pray for them. Does that make sense? So let's believe for it. <clears throat> Uh, radical generosity. Uh, Faith Raiser is a way that we dem uh, just experienced a little bit of it. Earlier this year, we raised $36,000 to build training centers for pastors. Uh, you know, we just want to give away money. And I love this church. You're generous. We give away, uh, since I've been a pastor, every year we've given over 20% of our uh, revenue to outside ministries, missions, to support others elsewhere. And so that's great, and we want to do more of that. Because Why? Because it's part of being a Christian. It's what the church is called to do. They worship together in the temple and at home. So they met in large groups, uh, large assemblies, actually. Uh, the place where they would meet in the temple, Solomon's porch, could hold up to 10,000 people. And so there could be thousands. The first time uh, the gospel was preached in Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved. But they also met in home-to-homes. And so in small groups, as well as in large groups, they were worshiping uh, together. They were praising uh, God. It was, a, it was just an active part of their lifestyle was to, to live worship, a worship lifestyle, to incorporate worship and praise in everything they do. And it says, each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. What I love about this is that here, salvation and being added to the church is really the same event okay and we think of self people getting saved somebody gives their house name to the lord or give their heart to the lord and they become a christian and we hope they plug into a church
But here, it's really clear, man. It happened when you got saved, you're planted into a church. It's, it's kind of like when you're born, you're born into a family. Now, now some, some, many people, you know, don't experience that because we live in a dysfunctional society. But the intention is that a man and a woman commit themselves, are devoted, lifelong, and they have a baby, and that baby is nurtured in that family. Why were we created that way? Because it's a picture. Uh, God's trying to teach us that's what it means to be human. And so, uh, you know, I grew up on a farm, and we had horses, and uh, I remember seeing the horse. You've probably seen videos of it. I saw it happen in, my, in, the, in the back 40, wherever it was, by the barn, <laughs> in the barnyard. The horse had the baby, and within minutes, almost instantly, it was like, dang, it's up running around. Like, boom, it's up running around. You don't have to teach a horse how to eat or how to walk. I got a grandbaby. It took her a year to figure out walking. <laughs> and she's really smart. <laughs> but you know what? We're, that's what humanity is like. We're, we're a much more complex being. And so we need, in, in the natural, we need a family. In the spiritual, we need a family. Okay, and church is that family. All right. <clears throat> All of these activities that I just read through and described require a faith community they can't be experienced fully some of them can't be experienced at all you can't share a meal with someone if you're eating alone okay <laughs> can't have fellowship if you're isolated they re requires a, a community of faith uh, it's essential to see that christianity must be practiced in communal community and it was this you know, it was this. This is what changed the world. This is why the gospel uh, was so powerful and, and spread so rapidly throughout uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth was because they, they didn't just teach about some person named Jesus. They demonstrated Jesus by living in a community of love. By this, they will know you are Christians. By your love, Jesus said. By your love, they will know you're a Christian. Christianity is best communicated in the context of a loving, committed, devoted community. Amen? So that's why I can say church is mission. That's why I can say church is God's means to fulfill the Great Commission. But this community wasn't without some problems. So <clears throat> let's read about a couple. This happened. This happened. <laughs> Acts chapter 5. Everybody loves this story. There was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife, Sapphira, sold some property. So what happened was this radical genera generosity was compelling people uh, of their own free will, not only to give money, but actually sell stuff. Like people who own two or three rental houses, sold one of the rental houses and gave the whole money uh, to, to the church to be distributed among the uh, needs of the people. Well, this is what Ananias and Sapphira did. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not to sell as you wished. And after selling it, 
the money was also yours to give away. And this is very clear, they weren't living in a commune. It wasn't uh, communism. He owned the property, uh, and it he didn't have to sell it. And even after he sell it, he didn't have to give the money, and he could have just said, we're giving half the money. And everything would have been great, okay? But for some reason, he wanted to be like the other guys and give all, uh, come across as giving all the money. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. <sighs> oh, happy day. <laughs> Not the kind of church service you plan for. Okay, everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Can you imagine everybody else who was there? It's like, oh. Uh, and Peter said, was this the price you and your husband received for your, for your land? Yes, she said, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died when the young men came in and saw that she was dead. Oh, you guys are happy, aren't you? They carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. And it goes on. The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers were meeting regularly in the temple area known as Solomon's Colonnade or Porch. Uh, but no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. Yet, more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. I want to ask you a question. Why in the heck is this story in the Bible? Have you ever wondered, you're reading along, everything's going great, and then two people drop dead in church. That's one of the stories where I'm like, okay, this is not a myth, guys. Somebody didn't just make this up. If you're making something up to pitch a product, you don't say people drop dead when they participate in it, okay? It's not a real good church growth strategy, you know, in the natural mind. <clears throat> why is this story in the Bible? Why, why, did the, why is it highlighted? It's one of the first stories about the church. Somebody lies and drops dead. <clears throat> doesn't get preached about much. Because it's kind of awkward. It's kinda, what do you do with that? <clears throat> I believe it was a defining event for the church. It's really important. Why is it in the Bible? Because it's really important. It's really important for them. It's really important for us now. <clears throat> it was a defining event that sets the boundaries uh, for this new community. All right? it, it communicates powerfully and vividly, especially for the people that saw it, but also as it's read continually throughout the centuries uh, and the generations that, wow, church is serious, right? And there's boundaries to this community. Uh, and that had, to be, that had to be established. Lying is not tolerated. There's many other practices that is not tolerated. And this was a graphic depiction of, of how uh, serious uh, that uh, these boundaries are. And so life in community requires boundaries. A community with unhealthy boundaries gets very unhealthy very quickly. 
All right, and that's what ends up becoming manipulation and cults and all kinds of weird things can happen when there isn't the enforcement of, of boundaries. <clears throat> so this story positions the church and the church leaders as the representation of God. Uh, it, it, it identifies very clearly that what you do to church, what you do in, 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 react, in, in, in regards to the leadership of the church especially, uh, you're doing to God. And that's what he meant when you're not lying to us. Peter said, you're not lying to us. Uh, us, he meant the apostle, but he meant the church. He says, you're lying to God. Uh, so it's very similar. When I was studying for this, I was thinking, you know, it's just like the, the th trials that the Israelites went through when they uh, journeyed through the 40 years in the desert. You know, they had left Egypt, and they were headed on a journey to the promised land, but man, one thing after another came up where they were tested. One time the ground opened up and swallowed thousands of them. Right? You know why? Because they were complaining. <laughs> oh! Well, this is a, we, don't, we have a few stories of, like that in the New Testament, but this is one of them that, that uh, demonstrates that purity is important to the church. That in order to be the community of God, we have to be a community that has a high value for honesty, for, uh, uh, for, for truth. Uh, and, so, and then it says, no one else dared join them. And then it says, yet more and more people believed and were added to the church. <laughs> Apparent contradiction. Uh, and I think what that means is no one dared to join them. They, they just didn't do it lightheartedly. They realized that, boy, if you're going to, be part of that group, there's a high buy-in, right? That requires a high amount of commitment. And so no one just uh, lightly joined that group because they knew, they heard the stories, you know, that if you don't live in a particular way, man, some people just drop dead. Wow. Yeah, but other people get raised from the dead. Really? That's a, that's a dynamic community. That attracts attention. <laughs> You can go to church, you never know if you're going to die or get raised for that. <laughs> you can get healed. All right? And the end result was, in a healthy community where the boundaries are defined and enforced, it grows. Because people want to be a part of that. All right? and, and, uh, and people were added to the church in mass, <clears throat> which resulted in more problems. All right? Uh, what happened was, this was all happen happening right in the view of the former religious or the existing religious leaders of the Jewish religion, the Old Covenant. The temple was still in act action, uh, and, and in fact, Ananias, we don't know where that happened, but it very likely happened in Solomon's porch. Okay, and so here you have thousands of people presenting lots of money to the apostles, untrained fishermen, and, and you know, uh, tax collectors leading this whole group and the priests are in a different part of the temple uh, which was a huge thing they were up in the actual uh, uh, temple building looking out onto Solomon's porch and they could see those crowds of people bringing lots of money and what happened is they got jealous it says the high priests and the officials uh, who were Sadducees were filled with jealousy they arrested the apostles put them in the public jail but the angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. And he told them, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. All right, so it, God delivered them supernaturally, opened the doors and said, go back out there and keep doing it. All right, get back on task. 
And that's exactly what they did. <clears throat> so this community begins to come under attack, and that attack uh, increases in sev severity until uh, in, uh, not long, much later, people start dying and being executed for simply being Christians. But here that we see this community coming under the opposition of the religious, establishment religious and civil authorities. They were able to actually arrest them. But God delivers them, tells them to get right back out. It doesn't take long for them to find the, the, uh, the high priest, uh, sent people to get him out of jail. The guards were still standing outside the jail. The, the door of the jail was still locked. They opened the door and it was empty. Shaba. Wasn't that cool? Come on. Let's do that for Andrew Brunson right now. He's in Turkey, Father. Just send an angel and, and transport him back home. In Jesus' name. Oh, wouldn't that be great? Shaba. <laughs> uh, Andrew Brunson is a, is a friend of mine who's in jail in a Turkish prison. He's been there for over a year now, uh, simply for being a Christian. Next button. Okay, there we go. And they, so the, they, found, they found him preaching in the temple again. So they brought the, the apostles before the high council, where the high priest confronted them. Didn't we tell you never again to teach in this man's name? Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. Like, you, you aren't. <laughs> but Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than any human authority. So the church had the deal with a culture that was opposed to it. Hmm. How, you know, do we find that in our culture? Is, is the culture of our day in agreement with Christianity? Or is it getting more and more opposed to Christianity? In many, many ways, it's more opposed to Christianity. Thankfully, we live in a nation where you're not going to get arrested for being a Christian. Uh, yeah, yeah. But there are many places where you are. The opposition that we face is a little more subtle. It's being <clears throat> considered old-fashioned or silly or stupid or uh, not contemporary. You don't understand when you simply teach the truth of Jesus Christ. But we, we like the early disciples, need to stand up to this opposition and to endure the persecution that comes because this outward journey, this getting the message out, the angel opened up the doors and said, get back out there and teach. The people need to hear this message of life. That is a vital aspect of, of being part of the community. We can't become a community that exists for itself. Because if you, are, if you exist for yourself, then it, it's unhealthy. Okay? We then become a social club, navel gazers, you know, exclusionary, and that is the opposite of what Christ has called his church to be. We're to be the ones who love those that hate us until they love us because they find out who we're following, which is Jesus Christ. All right, <clears throat> so they stood up. Then there was another challenge. One more challenge. This is the last one we're going to talk about today. Uh, it says, as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent the Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers, and they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word and not running a food program. So 
so brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the Word. So people in this church, that church actually complained. Can you believe it? Who would have, who would have ever expected that? Complaining in church. I know, it's, so, it's unusual. It's kind of hard to even comprehend, isn't it? <laughs> I like to say, complaining in church is biblical. <laughs> it's a biblical part of the New Testament church. There's complaining. And there was division. And there was ethnic strife. The, the, the Greeks and the Hebrews were, uh, were just eh, not being treated fair. Maybe they weren't. Maybe it was just accusation. We don't really know. Uh, people idealize the early church. Oh, if we could just be like the early church. So many, so many people, you know, are just... I'm like, have you read the Bible? <laughs> have you read Acts? People walk, went to church and died because they didn't give the right offering. <laughs> Is that really what you want? People were arguing, uh, fighting over food. Uh, Paul talks about it later, uh, you know. People getting drunk in church. Uh, There's all kinds of problems in church. Uh, uh, they had the same problems we have. And I'm telling you, that's the church Jesus wants to use to reach the world. We're not perfect. we got lots of problems. All right? But we deal with the problems. That's what makes it different. And so we bring in people that have, uh, that have problems, and it's a place that they can be received and nurtured, learn the boundaries, and come into healthy relationships. The problem led to the creation. This problem, this story is really important, just like the story of Ananias and Sapphira. This is another really important story because it introduces this idea of delegated authority. And so what they did was they <clears throat> set up a structure uh, and appointed other people to lead so that it all wasn't falling on, on, on the primary leaders. And that enabled more work to get done and for people to be treated well and for leaders to have time for what they were called to do, which is studying God's Word and, and learning how to preach it in a way that applies uh, to real life. And so it was just the establishment of order and structure. This is the basis for why churches have deacons and elders. We don't use those terms here, but we have them. We have uh, lead teams and we have associate pastors. We have site pastors. We have, you know, children's ministry leaders. All of those are different uh, levels of leadership because without that, people don't get treated right and, and things fall through the cracks and we need uh, order. And that order, that structure uh, allowed the community then to grow. And so this thing called church with, with all these dynamics is the pattern that we are to walk out this outward journey. Uh, that we, when we work together, uh, we're able to accomplish more. And that's exactly what Paul says. Did I skip over it? No, I, no, I skipped over it. No, I'm going to go back. There we go. That's exactly what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> Or he's explaining this whole dynamic. Now this is years later where they've kind of figured things out. And he's writing to a church in Ephesus, uh, which is up, uh, up in Europe. Ephesus, no, Ephesus is in Asia. Uh, <clears throat> but it was far north. Um, explaining this order of the church and why it exists. Uh, it says, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. And he names different, uh, at this point they had identified uh, different offices or different uh, types of ministries that had uh, grown up in, in this community called the church. It says, um, he gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, 
and the pastors and teachers, their responsibility is to equip God's people, all, all the members of the congregations, uh, the, uh, to do his work, God's work, and build up the church, the body of Christ. And continues on, he says, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other part grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And so we have this beautiful picture of people functioning in their giftings and their strengths. But when we do it together as a community, then we can grow. Grow numerically? It forced numeric force numeric growth forces structure in order to hold that growth all right it's just that's what we see in accent we see you see that in any any institution any organization even a family you know you need to figure out how to cook bigger meals <laughs> all right uh spiritual growth that's how we grow spiritually when you, when you lead someone to the lord and you have to uh, disciple them it, it causes you to grow um corporate growth as a body we get bigger and stronger we can reach out and do more every form of growth is directly dependent upon living in a healthy, well-defined, good boundaries uh, community. And that's what the church is. Uh, when the church works in this way, we're able to feel, fulfill our mission, which is the Great Commission. I'm going to real quickly go through, uh, uh, we've looked at seven, uh, seven, <laughs> several, four actually, snapshots of the church. That first picture in Acts 2.42, where we see all those defining characteristics, the uh, devotion, the apostles, teaching, all that. Uh, the church was birthed with, in unity and in purpose. We see the story of Ananias and Sapphira, and uh, that was a problem. And because of that problem, uh, they had to define some boundaries, and, here the, and that led to additional growth. We see opposition from culture and how they responded to that and that they stood up and they pressed on in the journey. They didn't back down. And then we saw that uh, story about the division and the complaint and the ethnic difficulties that they were struggling with. <clears throat> and again, they, they figured it out. They figured it out. Uh, through all of these, they, 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 they had a problem, but they overcame the problem and they continued on their journey together. And so I just encourage you right now, just take a minute uh, even if it's 20, 30 seconds here, you know, what are the things that you need to figure out in order for you to advance in the outward journey this week? What's a, what's a sticking point for this church uh, advancing in the outward journey? Is there something that we need to figure out so that we can go further? And I think there is, all right? I think that uh, we're not there yet. Uh, there's there's uh, at least 150,000 people within a 20-minute drive of this church uh, that never go to church. They have no connection that we know of with God. I bet a few thousand of them would love to be part of this community. I know it. Or some other church, faith community in town. Let's reach them. Let's be devoted to that. And so identify an area, write it down, and start praying about it and start asking God, how can we break through and continue the barrier, continue the journey past this barrier? Can we pray right now? Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We ask for grace, Lord, because apart from you, we can do nothing.
as your word states. But in you we can do all things. And so, Lord, I pray that whatever uh, limiting factor we're facing, maybe it's opposition at work, maybe it's fear of being uh, rejected, maybe it's lack of knowledge, maybe it's uh, 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 you know, not knowing an unsaved person well enough. Uh, uh, whatever it is, Father, give us all opportunities to advance and to, to be a community that is open, that welcomes uh, people outside to come inside so that we're full. You desire a full house. And so we commit ourselves to these things and help us understand and have a vision for what it means to be your people in this day. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. Amen. All right, we have our prayer team available on this side of the stage, and they will pray with you whatever needs you have. Uh, We see a lot of healing, and so we're going to continue pressing in and believing for healing. Uh, But any need you have whatsoever, they can pray for. On this side of the stage, we have our Rhema team, people trained to hear God. 